Hey guys, welcome back to SUPFREE 24-7. My name is Robert. The last video that we did was step number one. We admitted that we were powerless, right? Admitting you're powerless. So this life recovery workbook that we're going through, this is all about transformation from death to life, from addiction to recovery. It's about walking with God, humbly accepting and doing his will. And as you work through each of these 12 steps, you're going to discover some challenging spiritual lessons that are going to allow you to live your life free from addiction. And that's what my hope and desire is for anybody out there that's listening to this, that's going through it, that's maybe just trying to put some things together in your life. That's what this is all about, is just giving you some tools for the toolbox, right? So let's go over the 12 steps. Some of you may not even be familiar with what these 12 steps are like. What is step number one? What's step number two that we're going to be talking about today? So the 12 steps, number one, we admitted that we were powerless over our problems and that our lives had become unmanageable. And that's really where we have to start in order to go anywhere. Number two, the one that we're on today, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. This all builds on what we talked about last week. If you haven't seen the video for week number one, please go back and watch that. Listen to some of the questions and really start taking that journey yourself and seeing where it takes you. Because this is not a an exact formula like it works the same for everybody everybody's journey is going to be a little bit different so i encourage you to listen to some of those questions i even put them down in the description so you can copy and paste them dump them over into a word doc and maybe chew on them a little bit more after the video is over that's really what this is all about is trying to get you in tune with what's going on right here right why are we powerless over those things why have our lives become unmanageable? Why did we allow our life to get to that point? Right? Those are the questions that you got to start asking yourself. Are you uncomfortable with where you're at right now? Do you want something different? That's what this is about too. Step number two, the one that we're going to be working on today, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So we believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. All right, now we're reading out of the Life Recovery Workbook. This is exactly what you would get. I found this Life Recovery Bible online, and there happened to be a Life Recovery Workbook that went along with it, so I thought I'd give it a shot. I've been through AANA, Celebrate Recovery. All of those are great programs. And I was just curious, to be honest with you. I mean, I have 13 years of sobriety. That doesn't mean I have it all figured out. It just means I have gone that many days without putting crazy substances in my body. But I found this life recovery workbook. It's been sitting on my desk for the last few months and I've been looking at it. And finally something just said, you know what? Just get out, start reading this thing, going through it. There's other people that are going through the same exact thing. And I appreciate the messages that I get. I've gotten some really great messages from some people. So thank you for following along. And hopefully we can do this journey together and learn a little bit more about what brought us here and how to get out of where we're at. So here's the story for the step number two that's inside of the life recovery workbook. Allie was always overweight as a child and a teenager. Her weight was a very sore subject in her family. 
but food was her main concern for anxiety and depression. She never felt as though she fit in with others, and her friends seemed to be untrustworthy and two-faced. Food became her comfort, companion, excitement, and even her recreation. Over the years, her weight continued to climb until she was hopeless about the possibility of having a slim body. She would have fleeting periods of weight loss, but was never able to make a lasting difference. Years of self-hatred and feeling marginalized by life made her disbelieve that God could or would help her with her food and eating problems. She struggled for self-esteem and tried many self-help strategies for learning to like herself, despite her extra pounds. When she walked into Overeaters Anonymous, a 12-step group for compulsive eaters, she knew that she was powerless over food. Step one was obvious to her, but step two? Coming to believe that a power greater than her could restore her to sanity was a huge roadblock. The challenge of step two was to gain enough faith to believe that God could accomplish what she could never do. As with all of us, Allie's faith had to grow as she opened her mind to the possibility that God could actually help her with her specific problem. By talking to a sponsor and other people in the program, she learned to simply believe that God's power was there and that he was really interested in her food issues. She began with hesitant faith to ask God to remove the insanity, the obsessive thoughts about food, the time spent binging, the negative thoughts about herself, and the damaging effects that all of this was having on her body. Over time, her trust and belief in God grew as she learned to let go of food one day at a time follow a food plan, and trust God to help her act sanely around food. The surrender of her dependency, as we all must learn, came by taking opposite action around food even when she didn't feel like it. By surrendering daily, Allie felt closer to God without the food fog. She regained wholeness and sanity around food. As we have faced our powerlessness to stop the deadly progression of addiction in step one, we have admitted our complete defeat because there is no hope available within ourselves, our sinful human condition. There's no hope there. Step number two describes the process by which we look outside of ourselves to develop hope that there is a power that can stop the addiction process. This step begins with recognizing that addiction is a season of insanity. What usually begins innocently as seeking pleasure, maybe relief or comfort, becomes over time a coping mechanism for avoiding reality and responsibility. The pain of dealing with upsets, hardships, and disappointments of life can wear down our faith and our confidence in God. Substances and addictive behaviors can be a way of managing our stress and our sense of being out of control. As time goes on, unfortunately, this coping mechanism turns against us. Instead of relief and comfort, we find more difficulties and troubles. We multiply our problems instead of solving them. 
When we face the fact that we have been, in a sense, insane to think that we could make life work by acting out in our addiction, we see that our belief in God and in His Son Jesus has been nullified. Our faith has been overthrown by our addictive thoughts and behaviors, and we are headed towards spiritual disaster. Surrendering the reins of our life is not easy. We have to face our arrogant thinking and realize that although we believe in God, we have not allowed Him into our lives in a real and practical way. We have not fully understood how desperate we are for His restoration and healing. When we can honestly accept that we are not God and that He must have more room in our lives than we have previously allowed, we will come closer to releasing our arrogance. We have been trying to bend life to our will and have not considered God's will at all. In the meditations on this step, we look at scriptures that describe what happens when we try to live in our own power. First, we begin to think that God is unfair. We begin to question Him and wonder if He is really with us, as Job did. Our insanity in this case is having the arrogance to think that we could actually see the whole picture as God does and know what is fair or unfair. Coming to believe for Job meant accepting that he was a finite human and that God is omniscient. We may become grandiose like Nebuchadnezzar and think that we have the right to declare how life should revolve around us, our needs, and our wishes. This king looked at his success and began to claim the credit all for himself. He lost the humility of remembering that God rules and gives power and success to anyone he chooses. His grandiosity of thought and attitude was revealed by the dream that he had Daniel interpret. Daniel pleaded with him to turn from his sin of grandiose thinking, but his ego was hooked by the pride of accomplishment. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Daniel 4 verse 30. God did not allow Nebuchadnezzar to continue in that way. He was humbled by God with a season of insanity and grazed aimlessly with the cattle in the fields until he acknowledged God's sovereignty and power. The king's grandiose thinking is similar to the grandiosity of addiction. We try to make life work by medicating, avoiding, or filling ourselves with more and more. Sex, food, relationships, substances, all of it. What eventually happens is similar to what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. We end up wandering aimlessly, humiliated, and not accomplishing much. His season of insanity was like our season of addiction. After his pointless drifting, this king came to his senses by looking up to heaven and realizing that life did not revolve around him, but around God. In the same way to be relieved of addiction, we realize that our way of dealing with life has not worked. Our years of medicating our emotions with substances or compulsive behaviors have not brought the sense of comfort that we were seeking. As we face the insanity of choosing to cope with life in these ways, 
We look up to heaven to find the all-powerful God. Addiction is also a type of insanity in the way that it affects our internal world. Jesus came upon a man who was called Legion because he had so many demons living inside of him. Addiction is like that. We become consumed with demons of envy, jealousy, fear, and hate that drive us away from relationships and toward the tombs of isolation, bitterness, and hopelessness. We need Jesus to restore us to our right mind, put us back on our feet, and heal our hearts, as he did for this man. If our addiction goes on for years, we can become outcasts from society like the woman in the Gospels with the issue of blood. We are cut off from relationships and are unable to find acceptance from people. Isolation and loneliness are terribly painful, and they are not what God intended for us. It is essential for us to restore our relationships and connections with people if we are going to emerge from our addictions and make a successful recovery. Our insanity must be healed by our reaching out for God as this woman did. She hesitantly and feebly sought Jesus in the crowd thinking, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Reaching out to others is a tangible sign that we are reaching out for God's healing in our lives. Once we can face and accept that we have been insane in these ways, we are closer to recognizing how desperately we need God's touch to restore us. Coming to believe in step two is a process of becoming aware of a greater reality than anything that we can see with our eyes. God is willing at any moment to help us overcome our addictive behaviors and unmanageable emotions. By engaging in this process, we allow God to restore us to right thinking and to clear faith in his power. Then we can be free from the isolation, the grandiosity, and the tortured thoughts and feelings that accompany addiction. The first scripture that we're going to be talking about today is Job chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. How frail is humanity! How short is life! How full of trouble! We blossom like a flower and then wither. Like a passing shadow, we quickly disappear. Must you keep an eye on such a frail creature and demand an accounting from me? Who can bring purity out of an impure person? No one. You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. So leave us alone and let us rest. We are like hired hands, so let us finish our work in peace. So how has life seemed unfair to you in the areas of family? So think about your family. How has life seemed unfair to you? How has life seemed unfair to you in regards to trauma that may have happened to you in your life in the past? Maybe abuse. Are there ways that 
life has really seemed unfair to you because of something that someone else has done to you. What about addiction? Do you ever feel that life is unfair because you have this addiction? Because you have something in your life that's unmanageable? Something that makes you powerless? Do you feel resentment because you have that thing in your life? How has life seemed unfair to you in those areas of family, trauma, abuse, or even addiction that's in your life? What areas can you define that just seem unfair? What are your objections to trusting God fully with your addiction and your life? So what areas do you find yourself objecting to just trusting God? Are you trying to have the whole faith thing figured out maybe before you say yes to God? What about saying yes to God and just showing up? Nobody requires you to be physically fit and perfectly healthy before you walk into a hospital. Just saying. So before you start trusting God, what are some objections that you have with your addiction and also your life? What emotions and questions do you need to be honest with God about? So are there things, maybe emotions that you have about things that may have happened to you in the past? What emotions are those and can you identify those in order to be honest with God about right where you're at? Are you willing to work through the pain and the unfairness of life in order to find God and maybe be freed from your addiction? There's a lot of things that happen to us as we go through life that are unfair, things that we didn't ask for, things that other people have done to us. And sometimes those can be the hardest things to get over. We feel shame or rejection or any of those things, are you willing to work through the pain of those items in your life and the unfairness of it all? No one's saying that the things that happened to you or that were involved in your life are all your fault or all your responsibility. There's definitely unfairness, I'm sure, in all of our lives. So are you willing, though, to work through that pain and that unfairness in order to find God and be freed from that addiction. What holds you back from making that decision? So what holds you back? This next section is Daniel chapter 4, verse 19 through 33, Daniel explains the dream that was given to him by the king. So, upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened 
by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, man, I hope I'm getting this right. I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not you. The tree that you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze, surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my lord, the king. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But all of these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as the eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So think about your addiction. When you're in your addiction, in what ways do you display the belief that you're really only accountable to yourself? 
So think about your addiction. How do you try to convince yourself that you're really only accountable to yourself? How have you tried to maybe have power over the events and the outcomes and even the people that are in your life? How have you tried to manipulate those people and those things, those outcomes in order to cover up your addiction, to make excuses for it? In what ways do you show that you forget that God is ultimately in control? So in what ways do you show that really you're just choosing to forget that God is in control of your life? And how have you avoided acceptance of God's power over your life? So think about how have you tried to avoid that acceptance of God's power and ultimately his rule in your life. I mean, think back to the scripture we just read with Nebuchadnezzar and how he was just so certain that everything he had in his life was because of something he had done without giving any credit or any, really any nod to God and everything that God had done in his life. So how have you avoided acceptance of God's power over your life? The next section of scripture is Mark chapter 5, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenus. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles as often as he was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside of this man. Then the evil spirit begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake 
and drowned in the water. So let's talk about those self-destructive behaviors. What are some of the self-destructive behaviors that you've inflicted on yourself due to addiction? Think about some of those self-destructive behaviors. Let's talk about a few of those that may be on your list and maybe they're not on your list. Excessive alcohol and drug use. When you engage in heavy drinking or substance abuse... Uh, This can all have serious physical and mental consequences. How about reckless driving? Drunk driving, maybe speeding. These things can all lead to accidents and injuries. And you're not only endangering yourself, but other people. Maybe it's other risk-taking behaviors like deliberately putting yourself in a dangerous situation. Maybe like doing extreme sports without proper precautions, you know? A lot of times people can say, I'm an adrenaline junkie. That's just who I am. What about neglecting physical health? Really just ignoring your health and maybe medical conditions that are starting to creep up. Not wanting to deal with it, just putting your head in the sand. Not taking medications that are prescribed to you or maybe skipping your regular checkups. What about binge eating or starving yourself? These extreme eating behaviors uh, can really do some physical and also emotional harm. So binge eating or starving yourself. What about, and we may not even think of this as a self-destructive behavior, but what about procrastination? Do you find yourself constantly delaying tasks and responsibilities? Because all of that adds up to stress because it's an unfinished thing that's still out there in your mind. So these things can lead to stress, to missed opportunities, and even negative consequences. Here's another one. How about excessive spending? Engaging in impulsive and extravagant shopping can often lead to some financial stress and problems and is another form of self-destructive behavior. So think about all of these behaviors. And lastly, and I'm sure that there's many more, but this is just the last one I'll touch on. How about self-harm? Intentionally doing things to injure yourself, such as maybe cutting or burning. These are clear examples of self-destructive behavior. Think back, what self-destructive behaviors have you inflicted on yourself due to your addiction? How has your addiction kept you from living your own life while finding yourself more comfortable in the caves of isolation, anger? Maybe you're in a cave of rage. 
What about silent judgment? So how has your addiction kept you from living your own life while finding yourself more comfortable in those caves of isolation, anger, rage, or silent judgment? Have you begun to drop your insanity of living alone and being trapped in addiction? Have you begun to drop the insanity of living alone? Are you ready to have Jesus visit you in your cave, whatever cave that may be in? You know, when you're hiding out and you're all alone, are you ready to have Jesus meet you there? If you are, take a moment and think about saying a prayer in regards to that. If you've copied these into a Word doc and you're kind of working through some of the steps, maybe consider writing a prayer down along those lines. So think about Jesus coming to meet you in that cave of anger, rage, isolation, whatever it is to cleanse you from your addiction, what would be the first things that you would want to say when he comes to meet you there? This next section is out of Luke chapter 8, verses 43 to 48. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Somebody deliberately touched me. For I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. How have you tried to control your problems in your own power? So when you have problems in life and you try to control them by yourself, how have you done that and how has it worked out? What have the results been? So when you try to control your problems in your own power, what happens? How have you done that? And what are the results from those actions? Is there any other way that you would like to try and control and manage those things? So in your mind, do you maybe have an idea of another way that maybe you should be handling some of those situations when they happen? 
So is there any other way that you think could work better? Are you ready to do your part? Just as this woman courageously did in the scripture that we read. By reaching out for recovery in faith that Jesus' power will be there. So are you ready to take that step? If you knew that the answer for what's going on in your life right now was in this crowd of people and all you had to do is go and touch the robe of this person that was in that crowd, would you take the steps towards Jesus? Would you take the risk of touching his robe? Would you put yourself out there in front of a crowd of people asking for help? If you're ready to take those steps towards God, if you're ready to take those steps towards him in that busy crowd, lots of people around, but you're ready for recovery, start thinking about what that sounds like when you get ready to have that conversation with God. Maybe write out a statement to God, asking him to fix the things that you feel need fixing. Maybe to uncover some other things that you don't even know about yet. So write out that statement to God, or maybe if you're driving right now or just out and about, maybe think about that statement to God. What does that look like? The next scripture reading is Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. This is about God's anger at sin. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. How have your experiences shown you that your way of living is not a satisfying or productive way to live? So have you had some experiences in your life where you have just really come to the end of yourself where you're wondering, like, how did I even allow myself to get to this point? So how have your experiences shown you that your current way of living is not a satisfying or productive way to live? Number two. How have you seen God's power at work in other people's lives? Have you seen him at work in anyone's life around you? Maybe somebody that has gotten sober around you, or maybe somebody that has fought some type of addiction or uh, compulsion or something like that, and they're experiencing some freedom. What do you see inside of that person? Do you see God's power at work there? 
And the last question for this section, what are the signs that you're on the path and in the process of being restored to sanity? What do you think the signs are? When you're on that path, what kind of things are going to be happening in your life, do you think? Do you think maybe the people that you're hanging around might change a little bit? Maybe the places that you frequent, you know, there's that familiar saying inside of recovery that in order to get sober or in order to change some addictive behaviors in your life, you have to change the people, places, and things in your life, right? People, places, and things. And that is very, very true. I mean, there's a lot of triggers and uh, that's for a whole nother section, but there's a lot of triggers that come along with being around some of those familiar things from our addiction. In your mind, when you start thinking about this, what are some of the signs that you're on that right path, that you're on the right path, you're headed in the right direction? What are the signs that you're going to feel that you are really, that is your confirmation, right? That you're heading in the right direction and your sanity is getting restored. So what kind of things do you think would be happening in life? And for the last scripture reading for this section, it is Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 10. Great examples of faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it was impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner, living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. I really love the heroes of faith section there in Hebrews 
it always puts it into perspective. And these people were believing in something long before it was ever even there. So um, looking at where you're at now, are you becoming able to believe that God can help you to live sanely? So are you becoming able to believe that possibly God is able to help you live a little bit more of a sane life than what you have been living? And if so, how are you becoming able? So think about that. How are you becoming able to believe that God can help you live more sanely? All right, and for the last question on this section, can you now believe that as you reach out for God's strength and surrender to him, that God's nature is to be present and ready to help and support sane choices? Do you believe that God is there to maybe help direct you on the right path? If you're not there yet, trusting God to do these things for you, it's okay. I get it. A lot of us have some baggage maybe that we got to work through with the whole religion thing. Maybe the whole religion thing is brand new to you. And guess what? That's okay. I'm here to meet you exactly where you're at. I'm just glad that you're here today. So are you starting to see through some of these stories and also looking at some of the 12 steps, are you able to see how as you reach out for God's strength and really surrender to him, that he's really going to be there to support some better avenues in your life. The delusion of power is a deadly lie to live with. We try to convince ourselves that we have control and that we have the power within us to change. Often those around us fortify the delusion and hide the evidence of our powerlessness from us. Then, in a rare moment of clarity, we come to see that we have made no progress, possess no power, and know of no path to follow. The fortunate ones discover that in thousands of remarkable ways, God has been reaching out for us and revealing that he can help, that he can heal, and that he can restore. Finally, hearing God's truth and believing it leads every struggler from a place of hopelessness to the possibility of a new life. And friends, just like that, here we are done with step number two. I mean, it's one step at a time. You never finish a marathon by like just starting out and all of a sudden you're 26 miles in. It doesn't happen like that. It's one step in front of the other. Somebody said once, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer was one bite at a time. I mean, an elephant is huge, right? Like you're looking at this big insurmountable thing, but it's really just one bite at a time. That's how it all works. So here we are, step number two. So step number one, just to recap, we admitted that we were powerless over our problems and that our lives had become unmanageable. That was last week. If you haven't seen that video, there's gonna be a link down there. Make sure you go check that one out. All of the questions and stuff are also in the description. So check those out. This is really just about getting to figure out like, how did we get to this place and how do we get out of it, right? 
So step number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And let me encourage you here. If you're not at that point yet where you believe that that power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity, that's okay. Keep working through the steps. Keep an open mind, okay? Ask the universe or whatever you want to call it to open up your mind to be open to the possibility of something better and different than where you're at right now. I encourage you today, just keep trying, keep plugging away, keep an open mind, and I guarantee you're gonna find what you're looking for if you keep knocking. Knock and the door shall be opened, right? <laughs> so friends, have a great week. Thanks for joining in today. I'm gonna have step three for next week, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But uh, thank you for joining along. If you have any comments, if you have maybe part of your journey that you want to share down in the comments, maybe you just want to reach out to me privately. All my contact information is down there. I'm not hard to find, but I look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks again for following along. Be blessed and be a blessing wherever you're at.